Hello, uh, this is a new episode of a new season of Fostering Truths Productions. My name is Corey, and I'm your host. And um, just to refresher, the intent of this podcast is to be able to share my platform with other foster kids and young adults that aged out of the foster system, foster system as an attempt to bring awareness to the community, but also to build a stronger community within if other people hear something that they can relate to, it typically transpires to what I believe um, a stronger stronger community because people can see and hear that another person can relate to them and know that possibly they're not the only one out there that feels this way or that has went through what they've gone through. Um, my guest today is Sierra, and I know Sierra because of the foster care system. I've known her for about six years, seven years. Um, and so I'm really excited to have Sierra on this newer episode to be able to start fresh. Um, Sierra, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? Good. How is your Easter going? Uh, it, was, it was good. Pretty busy, but overall it was good. How about yours? That's good. It was pretty uneventful for me. Um, so as I explained to you earlier, I'm going to explain to everybody else, the way this is going to work is I have a list of questions I'd like to ask um, to be able to um, give anybody that may not have experienced foster care system a better idea of what it's like and some generic facts about you. And um and then after that, I'll give you the platform to be able to share whatever you'd like about your story. And um, yeah, then that'll be that. So, um, are you ready for the questions? Yes. Okay, so the first question is pretty generic. Um, what's your name? My name is Sierra Blewett. Alrighty, and how old are you? I'm 25. Okay, and and. What ages were you in the foster care system? I was in the foster care system from ages 14 to 21. Okay. Um, that sounds like you were in the foster care for system for most of your core years of like development. So like, do you feel that being in the foster care system, you more left at a disadvantage in comparison to being in a traditional family household? Yes, very disadvantaged because we as foster children didn't get to experience the same things that our peers outside of foster care got to experience. Um, me just being stuck in a group home with these rules that didn't really make any sense. It's really got stripped away of that, I don't know, teenage dream that everybody has. Right. Um, like social skills and whatnot, do you feel that you lack certain social skills that you would typically learn in a traditional household? Yes. Uh, even now, um, socially awkward. It's hard for me to communicate sometimes. Um, and attachments... Um. yeah just unhealthy attachment styles and all that 
just from being there. Right. Um, being an adult and obviously a couple of years removed from um, foster care, do you feel like your adulthood, you've been left at a disadvantage as far as like, you know, interview skills, resume building skills, um, budgeting skills, uh, just basic adult skills that you probably would also learn in a slower way with traditional household parents? Yes. Um, I struggle with budgeting. Um, I can still manage to pay my bills, but it's literally like at the last minute <laughs> um, or just like scraping to try to get the money that you need to be responsible. Um, my resume is okay now, but I, I couldn't even tell a teen how to build a resume. I, I wouldn't be able to help. <laughs> it's right. it's hard. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you think that's um, like any fault towards like the resources that DCS deems you should have as a young adult or teenager like um do you think that it's because they don't give you enough opportunities to practice them before you kind of are thrust out as a young adult yes um I feel like for me DCS just gave me the bare minimum skills and resources in order to be successful um I've had I've gone through like job development programs, um, you know, resume building, how to budget one on one. And you can tell me until you're blue in the face how to do like how like the paper tells you how to do it, but that's not that's not good enough for me. It didn't work. Right. Um but now that you're what, three, four years away from the independent living program and all that, do you feel that you've matured in a way that you can be a self-sufficient adult now, or do you still feel like you struggle? Um, I feel like I've, I've worked hard on my own to, um, understand but I still have challenges um I honestly don't even know how I got this far <laughs> because literally I was thrown to the wolves um before I even turned 18 um basically the group home just threw me out they're like oh it's time for you to figure it out you're 18 you're about to be 18 um you can figure it out from there and I figured it out but it was a hard, hard road to get to where I'm at. Right. Um, shifting gears a little bit, mental health. Um, I feel like being when you when you get put into a foster care system, I feel like um, you're automatically kind of slapped with a diagnosis, whether it's bipolar, ADHD, ADD, PTSD, um, and they kind of make it your identity 
to kind of justify any type of normal emotions, right? Like if you're an angry person, why wouldn't you be mad, right? Like certain circumstances have pulled you away from your family and people that are supposed to love you and be your blood, right? And you get pulled away and you're angry or you're sad and depressed. And so instead of thinking about it in a humane way, we would get slapped with a mental health diagnosis. Um, do you, did you feel that they tried to make mental a mental health diagnosis your personality? Oh, for sure. Like as soon, I feel like as soon as I got into the system, I was already seeing a therapist. Um, I took a psyche valve, which before I got into care, I didn't have these issues, you know? So um, I was already on medications. I was already labeled. Uh, I was already a statistic, I felt like, to them. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty much my identity. Right, because I don't know, most... Well, at least for me, most placements, like, it felt like we were only known by our last name or an ID number, which, so your identity was already kind of forcibly stripped away from you with, like, your first name. If you can't be called by your first name, like, I feel like your first name is a sure tell sign of who your identity is, right? And so they would strip that, right? And so all was left was a last name and why they're in here or a mental health diagnosis that that is why they're the way they are and so I feel like um the easiest way to handle a situation like that for staff now is to slap a diagnosis of mental health and just kind of hope it doesn't come back to bite them in the butt I guess but the problem is like I think in the system, we become so the lie or the inaccurate statements are told so many times that they become what we think or they become become a reality, and that's all we think. Like we don't, um, we don't have anything to say otherwise. Um, so then, this leads me to my next phase. It's like once we become young adults, we can, we typically like, we, we look for what we don't have or what we didn't have. Right. So somebody that cares or somebody that will take us in and coddle us or somebody that'll take us in and say that everything that they said is wrong and try to validate you. Right. And, and so we, we look and we accept typically one of the first people that comes our ways and it doesn't, we don't pay attention to the red flags or toxicity that this person may be um, portraying or the violent narcissism that's coming from a person, right? We just kind of like, okay. oh, well, we're, we're a sick person and they love us and they're loving us. So I'll just put up with it, right? And so I think a common thing theme for us young adults that have been come out coming out of the foster care system is we we um 
we're not used to being loved or cared for. So the first sign is that we feel or the first sample of love or affection that we get, we automatically latch onto that because it's so foreign to us. And um, I think that it's just, it, whether it's friends or significant others, I think that it just, um, it just opens up the gate to just really bad relationships in life. Yeah, um, do you, I agree. Did you experience that at all? So many times. Um, actually, when you and I met, I was living with this lady who was uh, one of the staff members in the group home that I was staying in. And um, she took me and um, my friend Olivia, and we live with her. And mind you, we were 18, 19 years old. Like, we do better. But because this lady told us that she loved us because we looked at her as if she was our mom. We took on roles and responsibilities that people our age shouldn't even have had. Um, we would watch her kids um, while she went out and did stuff. We would clean the entire house for little to nothing like our allowance was 20 bucks for cleaning the entire house including bedrooms and shampoo and carpets and like we thought that that was like the best thing to do um and it, we were really naive and really easily able to be taken advantage of um i was getting subsidy my subsidy was gone i was paying bills um bills that weren't even mine like <laughs> Just because this lady was like, oh, I'm your mom and I love you. So I'm like, okay, cool. I never had that before. This must be what we're supposed to do. So it's, I've had my fair share of awful relationships from all types of walks of life. Right. Um, would you care to share how, how your relationship has evolved now? Um. Are you in a healthy have, relationship right now? Oh, yes. I would say it's healthy right now. Uh -huh. um, it's pretty good. Um, I feel stable. That's good. With something I haven't felt probably ever. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it took a lot to get used to because I'm not used to somebody actually meaning what they say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Somebody who actually cares who has your best interest, who's not using you, you know, it was really refreshing. And now I can identify like what relationships are good and which aren't. Right. Um, if, if you had to tell your, your younger self, anything that would help them avoid, um, you know, any struggles that you went through, you know, what are some things that you would tell your younger self? If it seems too good to be true, it 100% is. Um, 
and I would tell my younger self, like, you know, you can't jump to the first person who says, oh, I can, I can change your life. I can, I can do this and I can do that for you. I can help you in this way and that way. Um, and, you know, not seeing those warning signs, like, I would tell myself the signs to look out for. I would tell myself, you know, um, you can't really trust anyone. And that sucks <laughs> from being in that, in the foster care system and having that type of mentality. You can't trust anybody, but it's true. Right. That's unfortunate. Um, what are some pros about being in the foster care system or the young adult program, whichever you want to pick from? Um, from the young adult program, I would say getting the subsidy, um, you know, those checks, they really helped, um, to pay for like groceries, clothing and stuff like that. Um, and another pro would be, um, that our education gets paid for. Um, I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> um. But other than that, I can't think of any others. I would ask if you have any cons, but I feel like there'd be too many. Um, so to avoid that, would you like to take the opportunity to share your story, why you were in foster care system, what it was like in there, what things you experienced, negative or positive? Um, we'll say that if you do have any negative stories, we would try to redact um names or group homes or organizations and and just say an organization or a group home I went to just to well just to keep me from not getting sued because <laughs> yeah yes if I'm in a lawsuit but um would you like the opportunity to share your story yeah I'll share my story well the floor is yours so um for the first 14 years of my life, I was living with my grandmother. She raised my brother and I, and my mom was out of the picture, you know, typical on drugs, in and out of prison, you know, just not in our lives. So uh, the year I turned 14, she showed back up out of the blue sky, like, oh, she told my grandma, it's time for me to take Sierra, like, she's my responsibility. I want to have a chance to, you know, raise her and whatnot. So, um, against my will, because I didn't want to go because my I don't know this lady. She left. I was nine days old when she left, so didn't know her from a can of paint. Um, I didn't want to go. Obviously, my feelings weren't heard. So I ultimately went to go live with this lady, and lasted three days with her, and um. One day, uh, she came to get me from the bus stop from school. I had to start school and everything. And um, I had a nervous habit of chewing on things. So I was chewing on my ID. And so she was like, why are you chewing on your ID? And I told her, I was like, oh, it's a habit of mine. And I turned around. But in her in her head, I was being disrespectful. So she, I turned around and so she punches me in the back of my head. And so I turned around and do what anybody would do. And I, my reflexes really made me like throw my arm back to hit her back. 
And so we ended up tussling in this um, driveway, this furniture store, where um, she just said all kinds of nasty things, like she wished I wasn't born, like stuff like that. And I told her some things too that I'm not proud of, but you know, at the heat of the moment. But she eventually called the police and told the police, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like, you need to come take her. And in the back of my head, I'm like, what did you do? It's only been three days. You haven't done nothing. Like, what can't you do? Um, the police took me. And the crazy part is she did not get in trouble for beating up a minor. Like, I had a, you know, those, like, large, extra large Ziploc bags. Um, I filled up an entire extra large Ziploc bag of my hair because that she pulled out um, when I was brushing my hair. So like I had all that hair come out, filled that whole Ziploc bag. She didn't get in trouble. So they sent me to this, they call it a timeout. They, it's a group home where they send their kids to get a timeout for two weeks. And then after the two weeks, the parents will come and pick their kids back up. Um, it was co-ed, which was not a good idea. Um, so I was in that house for a couple of weeks. And then the day that I was supposed to, like she was supposed to come back and get me, um, instead of her, it's a case manager. And he tells me, oh, your mom relinquished her rights. You're ward of the state. So like my whole world just shouted. I was like, what's going on? Like, this is my life now. Like, are you serious? So I stayed in that group home. And let me tell you, the way that group home was run, like awful. The staff, you know, things that kids and teens shouldn't be doing, like smoking marijuana and, you know, drinking and, you know, being sexual and all that was going on in that house. And it was just bizarre. It was crazy. So I left that house and then I went into a shelter. And um, in that shelter, I met a couple of girls. I still talk to them today. Like we still have strong relationships and bonds today. But um it was not practical. Like everywhere, there was gates everywhere in the house. So if you wanted to go across the gate, you would have to say pass. If you wanted to go in the refrigerator, you had to say pass. Like just, it wasn't a home. It was a home, but it wasn't like a home setting. It wasn't anywhere where, you know, I just got stripped away from my family. And it wasn't anywhere that made us feel comfortable. You know what I mean? And um, so I stayed there for like a good nine months. Um, some of the staff were okay, some others weren't. Um, and I didn't really have any negative experiences in the shelter, um, not so much until I got to the group home nine months later. So, um, once I got into the group home that I was in, um, yeah, it was cool. It was different. You know, once you 
get to group home status, they call it, it gets a little bit more laid back, a little bit more lenient, but not much. And so um, it was cool living there, but then the staff had already had their perceptions of me before I had even got there. And it was to the point where um, a couple of the girls, like at night when some of the staff members that would work there, like they didn't really care what we did. So me and a couple of other girls would go in the office and we read the, the communication log. And some of the things that those staff like wrote about us and other girls in there like if you would have read that stuff it would have like your stomach you would have been sick to your stomach like some of the things that they were saying about us and like it just so like when you see that stuff and these people are supposed to be taking care of you it's really discouraging like can we really trust these people do they really love us like they tell us and then we go and read this crap like <laughs> so um, I, I was the ringleader of the, the house. So whenever somebody did anything or got in trouble, I was the one behind it or so that, you know, so they said, um, oh, well, Sierra must've put you up to that. Sierra must've did this. Sierra must've told you to do that. And I'm minding my own business. Like... <laughs> not having to care in the world, you know, and one of the worst experiences I would say, um, I had a friend in there and um, the staff treated her poorly. Like it was evident that they didn't like her. Um, so she stayed there for a few months, but it took her, um, she couldn't take it anymore. If she she was trying to find many ways to get removed from the group home that one day she decided to take an entire bottle of ibuprofen she drank an entire bottle of lotion and um busted open a bottle of perfume and drank that just so they would send her to the psych hospital so she can get out of the group home like and if you have to go to that extreme, like just to get out of there, like that's how you know it was awful. Like nobody should ever have to have do something like that. Um, but other than that, like I was still able to focus on school a little bit. Um, I ended up getting my own room. Um, you know, in group homes, they don't let you have doors. So I earned my door back. I was the only one in the house with a door. But then everybody's seeing me with these privileges, you know, you have people in there that get jealous of you, that want to see you fall, like want to see you crumble. Um, so yeah, I've gotten into a couple of fights and basically lost, lost all that, lost all my privileges, was back at the bottom, you know. Um, but I was able to graduate high school, barely at that. Um, it was the year that they took away Ames. So if they did not take away Ames testing, I wouldn't have graduated high school on time <laughs> because I knew I was going to fail. Um, 
and um And like when I first entered into foster care, um, I missed a whole semester of my ninth grade year. So my senior year, I was doing, um, well, before my senior year, I was doing summer school. And then during, I was doing night school just to make up that one semester so I could graduate. And so I was doing double work. Like it was super hard. Um, but eventually I graduated and I'm thinking everything's cool. And then the um, the owner of the group home, um, she comes to the house and she tells me, she's like, well, you're a week away from um, 18. You can't stay here anymore. So um, on Monday, you're going to this independent living facility. And I was like, can y'all even do that? Like, cause they had other girls that stayed there past 18 and let them stay there and let them work and let them get a job. But when it came to me, I couldn't stay there anymore. So they shipped me off to this independent living facility um, where I met my best friend there. Um, it was co-ed. Um, each of us, there was four people to an apartment. Um, but um, it wasn't run properly. So you have these 17, 18, 19 year olds on drugs, um, sneaking in and out of each other's apartments. Um, you know, you got pregnancy scares, you got all kinds of this stuff going on in this DCS like ran facility. Excuse me. So it's I've seen some crazy things just by living in the group homes and everything like that. But um, one of uh, my friends that I met in the independent living facility overdosed and passed away because she had gotten a hold of some pills. Um, and then they started this thing where they were gonna drug test everybody to make sure that nobody was doing drugs and all that. Um, don't know how they were passing licensing and none of that. It's still open today. Um, but after that, that's how I ended up with that lady from the group home. And then from there, I was just kind of figuring life out. Me and my mom still have a very strange relationship. Um, I don't have a relationship with a good half of my family, um, including my brother, and we grew up together. Um, so yeah, it's kind of been hard, but been able to just build myself up, I guess. But yeah. Well, um, thank you for sharing. Um, well, it's it's obviously like being part of the system is not easy, and it's definitely it's not for the weak. Um, and what I will say is that, um, 
for anybody that might be listening that's heard your story that I would hope that if nothing else that it would show um potential for 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 a better future than what they think that they have going for them now um I think that optimism and self-belief and self-love are three major factors that help us get through what we went through and um I think it's not it's nobody's saying that it's easy and nobody's saying that it will be easy but I think that just people like you should um if if nothing else their stories um are a testament to being resilient and showing that there is um that that there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel no matter how deep that tunnel looks so oh yeah and i do want to say like i was supposed to be a statistic um i was supposed to fail from the beginning and um, I've proved a lot of people wrong just by working hard. So I just wanted to tell anybody, like like you said, stay resilient, you know. You're not a statistic. You can succeed. You just have to really just push and believe in yourself as hard as it may be. But it does get better. Thank you. Um, what do you do now? So now I work for the Salt River Maricopa, Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community. Um, I work for CPS um, and the Case Aid. So I take the foster children, um, transport them to and from visits, I'll supervise visits um, with their parents and um, Yeah, make sure that they're safe and yeah, I really, really enjoy my job. I would not have it any other way. Sounds like it's full circle. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on. I'll let you get back to the rest of your Easter. Um, but just... Um, Stay strong and stay optimistic, and we'll get you on another episode in the future. So thank you for taking the time to help me. And um, yeah, I hope you have a good Easter, rest of your Easter. Thank you for having me, and I hope you have a great Easter as well. Thank you. All right. See you later. All right. Bye.